Hi, you're listening to Missing the Conversation with me, pub landlady Miranda Richardson. I've decided to do this podcast with my nearest and dearest. We're going to talk about all sorts of things from family and friendship to cancer and grief. Every topic that happens to all of us at some point in our lives. You might find we babble on a little bit, but then you might also find that little nugget that will just help you get through your day that little bit easier. Happy listening. Good morning, everybody. My guests today are two of my fabulous friends. I've got the aptly named Sarah Sassy Barondi. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Um, and the beautiful Judith Rachel Clements, otherwise known as Jude, in the house. Morning, guys. Hiya. Hiya. Now, ladies, good landlady, what can I get you to drink? What can I get you? Sarah. Oh, well, I think it, it would have to be a gin and tonic, but I do quite like the, um, oh, what's it? Is it the Clementine? Not the Clementine one. I think it might be the Clementine one. Or, orangey one. Orangey gin. Yeah, I can do Orange, that. Orangey tonic. Uh, yeah, yeah, just a straight yeah. time, yeah. Okay, Jude, babe, what are you having? I would quite like if you have it. I've kind of, I do love my gin, but I've had mm. a bit of a move on to, to tequila and tonic at the moment. <gasps> tequila, yeah, I'm it, it makes you happy, <laughs> it makes me happy. So, yeah, maybe a tequila and tonic or a coffee with Bailey's in. I'm quite <laughs> in. in the mornings, so no one knows you've got alcohol in your coffee, so uh, that's it, especially on, on a meeting, it's great. You just lift your mug yeah. up, doesn't matter, yeah. get coffee all the way. Um, I will, I will get those for you, ladies. So, <laughs> so we'll sit down and have a drink together. So, um, for our lovely listeners, might be a listener, who knows? Um, I'm going to explain um, our relationship and how we know each other. So, we have um several children between us but more importantly we have a collection of 16 soon to be 17 year old boys or 17 and soon to be 17 Sarah isn't he Tom 17 next month yeah next month scary scary and our boys all met playing rugby when they were little and we then become an awesome force of of parents and we've got um, an extra string to our gang haven't we with the other four um magnificent ladies that that normally make up our little troop um and that is how our friendship has formed for the last uh, six years don't know six years more maybe more maybe Maybe. more don't forget spud wasn't in the littley littlies with you was he ah okay yeah so yeah yeah, so so probably a bit longer um i mean kens has been playing hasn't he Jude, since he was tiny, some fabulous pictures of Mackenzie. Yeah, I think Tom's, yeah, Tom was playing up, f- up from five, I think, probably the same time as, as Mackenzie, I think. Yeah, Spud didn't want to get hurt at that age. He waited till he was 11, <laughs> bigger to hurt everybody else. <laughs> so that, so that is how, how we met, but we and um, we've done a lot together haven't we, we we've we've uh, been on tour we've we've walked thousands of miles um just for fun um on our on our challenge a couple of years ago Sarah you've done some some mega challenges um in your time and Jude you've done the moonwalk and, and lots of things like that but we we have one other anomaly that kind of brings us together in a strange way and that is we all share an element of grief um tomorrow 
marks 31 days since my mum, 31 days, 31 years since my mum died. Sarah had a beautiful son, James, uh, who you sadly lost, and Jude, a wonderful sister, Pat, who you lost. So we have a, a, a triangle, if you like, of a, of a parent, a sibling and a child um, that we, we all share that kind of understanding of what it means. I just want us to, to talk um, about them. They were all fabulous people, so that's a great thing to do. Um, and to, just to look at those three different elements Jude, what's interesting for me is I, I don't have any brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, you have a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd quite not want to understand, but I'd, I'd not having that that sibling. And actually, that when I lost my mum, that was something I really felt I missed. Yeah. Because I didn't, support, yeah. Yeah, didn't have someone to to understand what I was dealing with. Yeah. You know, which is, is is quite difficult because lots of people we all know, you know, they're, oh, you know, I, I understand what you're going through. And I read really, I'm not going to be rude, but you don't, <laughs> you know, um, talk to me. Tell me about Pat. What was Pat like? Pat was wonderful. We were quite different, actually, um, different characters. Pat was a bit more serious than me, um, quite straight laced in a way. I mean, not as a teenager, she was quite... She was a bit out there as a teenager, a bit of a punk. and But as she grew up, she was quite, yeah, I guess a bit straight-laced. My friends around me used to call her Posh Pat. <laughs> but we did everything together as teenagers. She was the one that showed me when we started to go out into town, pubs, and she'd say, avoid that gang, don't go near that bloke, don't go in these pubs. Or You know, it, she just sort of taught me life skills growing up I guess living in a village I'd, I'd gotten none and then suddenly you go into town and it's like oh my god all these people um yeah. so yeah she taught me a lot for our teenage years and she was a she was a strong character my sister um although we were different we really really gelled quite well and taught each other a lot I guess obviously her she taught me more than I taught her but yeah she was she was it was a it was good to have a sister I mean I think lots of people would love to have a sister it's just one of those things in life where it's if you've got your sister you know she's got your back Um, which I know Sarah must feel that because she's got a sister yeah they're awesome they are aren't they so I think she would definitely have had my back and I would have had hers and I think the saddest thing um when I lost Pat was it wasn't just me that lost her and that's another mistake I made at the time I put it all on myself like oh my god I've lost a sister I found it difficult to see how it affected everybody else in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd made kind of plans together. Like, you know, we were both got married at around the same time. She's seven years, she was seven years older than me, but we got married at around the same time, had kids similar ages. And we'd kind of planned that we'd go on holidays together as families. And um, she would, you know, we'd split our working week. So I'd have her kids while she worked and then she'd have my kids while I worked. So we kind of planned our life out a little bit around each other. Um, yeah. And then she went and got cancer and died, sadly, only at 43. So I think kind of uh, looking back now, I think I was very selfish about my grief back then. And I, I just thought about myself a lot. Um, obviously not purposefully. I didn't massively think at the time how it would have affected my mum and dad losing a child. 
um, I didn't really think about how it affected John. You know, he was just as close to her as I was in a way. Um, I think I put it all up about the grief on myself and her two children. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you, so Erin and um, Jordan? Yeah. Both fabulous, fabulous girls, I must say. Um, Erin, uh, Jordan was older, wasn't she? Erin, how old was Erin? T- lot smaller, wasn't she? Yeah, two. Two, two or three, yeah. Mm. Jordan was five. I mean, they were tiny. And I think I, I, I felt I had to take on my sister's role for them when they were tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I put a lot, I guess I put a lot of my heart and soul. Obviously, I'd got Mackenzie by then. I hadn't got Ellison yet. Um, I put a lot of my time and effort into Jordan and Erin, along with Mackenzie, and probably really left John out for some years, really. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just didn't, I didn't recognise that that's what I was doing. But when I look back now, and John and I have had conversations about it since, and he said to me, you changed. You really changed as a person that day your sister died. You just, you were so closed. Um, yeah, and it took, I, I think it took me quite a few years to not be that selfish, grieving person again. Hmm. Do you, I mean, the girls are still very much in your lives now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is which is wonderful. And that's, that is... You know, testament to to you being there for them. You know, they they were small, mm-hmm. but you know, I I have conversations with with Erin. She was she was in the other day, um, and she said, "I'm just going to pop over and see Mum." I said, "Yeah, yeah, go on." You know, because Pat's over the road in the church from the pub. Yeah, and she came back in, and I could just see in her face. And I said, "You're right, sweetheart." And she just said, "No, I'm just no, not today." No, I just gave her a big hug, you know, and I just said, it, it, it's it's all okay. You know, it it, it doesn't matter that those, yeah. those years roll on. It, it, it doesn't change our day-to-day ever because we just deal with it in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The route is always the same. Definitely. You know, and, and we can all get taken back to that moment instantly. You know, and we can have an expanse of life, but instantly you can feel in that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it is it is tantamount to you that those girls are as wonderful as they are, because that's a lot of input from you and the family. You yeah, know? There's, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, yes, I haven't done it all on my own. We've had lots of other very kind and generous members of the family that have helped along the way. But I look at those two girls and they're the closest thing I'll ever get to my sister, and I'm the closest they'll ever get to their mum, mm-hmm. because it's in our it's in our blood and our makeup. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, Sarah, um, fabulous James. Well, he he was, and I mean, it's twelve. It's getting well. It'll be thirteen years in May since we lost him, and. Bless him, he was nine years old at the time. Um, and he had a very, I suppose if you looking back, it was it was quite a quick and swift illness. He was diagnosed in September 2007 with non-Hodgkinskin's lymphoma. Um, um, had amazing treatment, went actually very quickly into remission and was in remission by that Christmas. 
Um, and then unfortunately it came back incredibly aggressively and then we lost him in the following May. Um, and it was the most horrendous time for the family. Absolutely. Um, it's one of those times where I, I am I, it, again, a bit like Lou Jude was saying, like reflecting on it. I tend not to reflect on that time because it, it was quite painful. Like, he had a lot of his treatment up in Birmingham. So as a family, we were apart a lot of the time. Um, and one of us could only stay at any one time. I think treatments sort of moved on a bit and sometimes they let more families sort of stay together. But mm. where we were, it was literally a hospital camp bed by the side of his bed. Um, and it's that round of treatment and, and, and hope. And I have to say, you know, our NHS are fabulous and Birmingham Children's Hospital is one of the most amazing places to, to be when you where you see some of the saddest, saddest sights, but also some of the incredible hope that goes on there. It's mm. fabulous. They were an incredible support network. Um, we were given a lot of support as a family um, to other sort of charities to help get us through. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we, we have we are quite a small family. So um, so we relied a lot on actually sort of some very close friends to help us get through. And that's one thing that I take away from that is, you know, you talking about friendship, some of those friends that stood up and helped us through that time. Yeah. Um, you know, life goes on, their life goes on, but they're always in our heart and we'll never forget them because of what they did. Yeah. Um, but James himself was a typical eight-year-old, um, full obviously full of life, also played rugby for dear old Bugbrook. Um I hate to say this, but it was probably better than his younger brother. <laughs> We won't tell him it's okay. <laughs> or his older set brother that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what James had that um, was very different from perhaps the other two is this like aggression and like feistiness. And so when, and he was very tall and quite willowy, but really fast. So he'd go for, he'd strive for that line and get that in that try, even though it was only tag rugby at that point, he took it very seriously, very seriously. Um, so he um, yeah so he did he did have quite a temper but the other side of him was really sweet natured um, he they, we di he was diagnosed as dyslexic and um, uh, at a statement but his thing was drawing and inventing things and making things so he was quite talented in, in that way I think when um, you know going through that and finding out that his um, condition was was terminal that's one thing that you never want to hear as a parent ever and um you know it resonates with what Jude was saying about how her parents were feeling about her sister because they are still your children no matter how old they are and that's not right that they're going before you are yeah. um so uh incredibly tough um I think one of the things, again, what reflection has allowed me to think about is some of the interventions that were put into place, which allowed us to sort of prep for that eventuality. And that's where some of the support networks that we had were, were, really, were really good. Um, but saying that, you know, eventually when we, we lost James and he died, 
Um, uh, it's like the world stopped. And um, for me, it didn't, the world didn't really start again for quite a long, long, long time. Um, and you go through this, I had um, a lovely four-year-old boy that I had to get up for every morning and get him to nursery and get him to school. And he was sort of my focus. Um, work sort of went out the window of it a little bit. Um, and Steve, my husband, um, had time off work and sort of threw himself in, into work. And I think how people deal with it is very different um, because of their personalities. But again, like Jude, I changed practically overnight from quite an outgoing person to very, very introverted and not actually wanting to go out and see anybody. But I had to because I had a four-year-old to look after. Yeah. Um, but it's time. It, and it is time. Time is, is, is that healer. Um, and those emotions and feelings and grief you have to go through those. There is no shortcut, absolutely no shortcut. And some people seem to bounce back quite quickly, but it's baby steps. It's two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. yeah. I th I think I, um, I mean, we, we we all, I mean, James, was, like you say, was, was a quite short time. How, how long, Jude, was Pat ill for? Uh, again, it was very short. She fell ill. It was Easter. I remember it was Easter. Um, and she rang me and she said, um, I think John had had like a virus the week before. Um, and she rang me and went, when John had that virus, did it affect his hands at all? And I was like, no, why? She said, I'm trying to fold the washing and I can't make my hand work. Said, no, no, nothing like that. I don't know. I think you should go to the hospital. I think this was maybe on a Friday or a Saturday around Easter time. Um, anyway, she went to the hospital and they did a scan. They sent her straight down to Oxford. <coughs> um, and she, they found that she had um, a tumour in her brain. Um, now, again, Pat being Pat, she, obviously we knew she'd gone for the operation in Oxford, went down to see her. She kept the fact that it was cancer secret. She didn't tell anybody, not even her husband. Wow. Kept it, I know. And I don't know why she did that, whether she was trying to protect us or if she didn't admit it, then she was keeping it from herself in a way, like, you know, not believing that she'd got it. Anyway, they took the tumour away from her brain and she came back to Northampton and she appeared to be, you know, recovering. She had some um, treatment that sent her bored, so she had a wig and stuff and she had some fun with that, actually. She liked the whole wig thing and she started to spend a bit of money and just do some stuff, but not a lot because she was still poorly. Um, I think she had the house decorated or something. I seem to remember that happening, but all seemed good. All seemed as if it was all, she was going to be okay, but sadly it, it wasn't okay and she started a very quick downward spiral again. Um, she was back in hospital. She was in the... Um, the cancer and tumour ward at Northampton General. I can't remember what it's called now. Anyway, she was in there. So, yeah, my whole, every day I was going to visit her there. So it's taking big chunks out of my day, or me away from my family. Um, 
you know, and I look back now and was I selfish? I don't know. Anyway, I wanted to be with my sister, so that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it, she just wasn't improving, and they decided to move her to Cynthia Spencer. Um, they told us it was terminal. I, I just honestly, I couldn't, she couldn't believe it. I don't think I couldn't believe it. It was just, yeah, like Sarah said, the words you just don't want to hear because you think you really believe that person's going to get over it and going to get better. Um, yeah, it's just your whole life and world and all of the plans that we'd made. It's just like, oh my God, I can't, I just, I can't see past now, this second. What am I going to do tomorrow? Anyway, she was moved to uh, Cynthia Spencer and we had a family meeting that night or the next night over at my mum and dad's house about how we were going to, you know, cope after she'd gone with the children and everything, Leon moving house. And we got to the part where we knew that Leon was going to tell us what the doctors had said and what the prognosis was, the amount of time left. And my mum just went, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear so she left the room and Leon said, she's very, very poorly. We're looking at maybe three weeks. And I honestly thought at the time they were going to say three years or three mm-hmm. weeks. And it was like, oh, my God. Do you know what? She lasted three days. Oh, God. But, which is awful, I know. But can you imagine, like, you're, you're a mum of two young kids. You've been told that you're not getting better. You know, to sit with that thought on your own in Cynthia Spencer every night, I just don't know where you'd go with it. So I think once we found out it was terminal and, you know, she wasn't even going to get, not terminal as in you'll be able to walk about for three years, but you're still going to be ill. I mean, she couldn't get out of bed. So what's the point in it lasting three weeks or three months? I mean, that sounds awful, but I couldn't bear to think of her laying in bed with those thoughts in her head. Because it just must be too painful. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't do it to an animal, would we? No, <laughs> that's no. that's that's the thing we do. I mean, it's 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 really interesting to to hear from both of you because you were both adults, mm. so you you're dealing with that um, from from the adult perspective. And and I'd got, I mean, Jude, you're, you're you know, there's, there's a lot of you, isn't there? There's quite a big gang of you. Yeah. Uh, brothers and, you know, um, and my mum was one of eight and the eldest of eight. Yeah. Um, and I had one of her sisters come and kind of stay with us and look after us a little bit, but two years I lived with it. It was, um, Mum had had a hysterectomy in the 80s. So it was mm-hmm. a bit popular back then, wasn't it? You had a pain in yeah. your stomach, you whip, they whip your womb out. Whip that's, out. That's, what, that's what they did for women back then. And um, it, it was never quite right. I, rem- I remember having a, her having it done. Uh, I was about 11 um, when she felt when she had, had a hysterectomy. And she still wasn't right. You know, she still wasn't okay and still always had this pain in her tummy all the time. And... She had bowel cancer. That's that's what mum had. And we went through, first of all, she had um, an operation to, to remove part of it from her bowel. So she ended up with a with a very attractive colostomy bag. They're not like they are now. Trust me, this was a massive thing. Um, 
it used to um when she when she broke wind um it would balloon up her skirt so like her skirt in front of her would blow up as if like she got a balloon in front of her and she used to have to like let them let the wind out the side you know she used to have to release it off the off the flangey bit and just and oh yeah we did giggle must admit um but you just kind of thought oh well they've chopped it out it'll be okay and she'll go back and they'll put it all back in and it'll all be fine well it, it wasn't mm-hmm. um and we had i had a very strange two years very strange um so you were 11 so 11 when she had a hysterectomy and then 13 um when she then started the bowel cancer operating mm-hmm. she didn't have chemo radiotherapy none of that now whether or not i, I mean i don't know whether or not that was her choice not to mm-hmm. um I think mum was was very much a, well, we'll operate and if that can't fix it, we'll go with it kind of thing. Um, she spent some time down in at St. Joseph's um, in, in Hackney, which is a, a, a hospice, but that was more respite. It wasn't, um, it wasn't to stay. It was to kind of give my auntie a break and give me a break. And I, we used to go down there and my auntie worked there. So, you know, mum would get, get a room every now and again and, and it would be, all be okay. Um, and then we'd, we'd come home and, I you know, one or two neighbours would help out. Mum was still pretty mobile. Um, she was poorly, but she'd still, she'd still be driving a bit and we'd still be getting out a bit. And life for me was very much school. You know, carry on. You go to school, you, you do what you do. Um, we had a couple of holidays um, with my my auntie and my cousin up at Skegness and that was fine you know so in my head even though she knew she was terminal nobody ever really told me mm-hmm. that that was what was happening mm-hmm. she was just ill you know mum was ill for a couple of years and it was only really the last probably two or three months um kind of november december and then into the january that she got really ill um and i always used to have a new year's eve party at my house my mum let we always had great parties we'd had part you know for years all different things and i always had a new year's eve party and i wanted a new year's eve party and everybody said do you think it's a really good idea because your mum's she hadn't been downstairs um, much over December. Do you really think it's a good idea? Do you really think it's a good idea? I was a selfish 15-year-old. I was a 15-year-old who wanted a party with her friends. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted. And I did it every year. And I didn't see why this year needed to be any different. And she didn't come downstairs after New Year's Eve. And I, I look back and I think, should I have not done that? Should I have not had that time with my friends in my house doing what I always did? Should I have focused more on that? On, on you know, being with her and, and being, and I don't think I could have done because I don't think I'd have handled it any better had I not 
done that. I don't remember the party. I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember who was there and who wasn't there. I just remember that my mum never came downstairs afterwards. I remember that more than anything. Um, and mum died. She mum died at home. She was she was at home. She didn't really have much apart from her operations and and the respite time. She never um never spent any other time in hospital. You know, she it was very much at home. And mum, uh, you know, she was a, a good Catholic girl, so it was very much all about her faith and and her being at home and happy with her with herself in where she was going and what she was doing. Um, and even the, the the months that followed, I don't ever think I really grieved properly afterwards either, because in, in a strange way, I wasn't really allowed to. Yeah, um, people just trying to get you to yeah. keep on, keep moving on, yeah. keep going to school. Yeah, mm. my, you know, even my mum's funeral, mum's funeral, it was a week later because everybody had to arrive from every far corner of Ireland and, you know, everywhere else. And there was a, a lot of planning and, you know, seven brothers and sisters to consider. Uh, and I can remember being told not to cry, not to cry because granny was coming. And Sarah, this this resonates back to, to what you were saying about, um, you know, your, your children should outlive you. You shouldn't bury your children, you know. Uh, and I can remember one of my aunties saying, you know, you've got to be strong for granny because she's coming over, you know, and she shouldn't. You know, she, she, here she, she, she's coming to bury one of her children and she shouldn't be and mm. that, that, that. so I didn't didn't do any crying didn't mm. do any any upset because you know and I'd got I'd one of my aunties Jude was was very much um wailing and I it's, it's the only way to describe her wailing um that she'd lost a sister you mm -hmm. know uh, and I, again not having any I'm didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't understand that. In my head, well, I could think of, but I've lost my mum. Oh, well, I've lost my mum, yeah. yeah. I've lost my mum, you know, and it's and it's hard because, like you say, with you know, with your with your sister, it was your sister, and and, and that you felt, you know, quite selfish in that, and quite rightly. I look back now and I think, yeah, quite rightly. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. you know, you need to be selfish. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. It is about you because yeah. if you're not, um, I suppose, acknowledging that fact, and that that is part of the grief process, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's all right to be selfish at the time. It's really you. You might you don't you don't realize it or, or no. whatever. But absolutely, yeah, it is fine because it is about your self-worth and actually protecting yourself because you're the one that's left you're the one that's here you're the one that everybody tells you have to be strong and brave or they tell you how strong and brave you, that you are and actually inside you're going but I'm not I'm mm -hmm. so yeah but that selfish selfishness actually that is what protects you I think and there's nothing wrong with being selfish Again, that's something that you learn perhaps after the event. Yeah. But and I, absolutely nothing wrong with it. No. And I, I continue. I don't know how you, you guys feel, but I there are still massive elements to me that is a wall up. Mm -hmm. If I if I ever feel 
Um, you know, my husband is amazing. My children are amazing. I have got some fabulous friends and family. But, oh, my God, the self-preservation is still massive. Yeah. You know, uh, because I don't part of me part of part of me went with her you know yeah. for sure um and part of me will never ever be that hurt again you know yeah the 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 anger i felt as well the anger um towards her that she could let she could leave me Mm. how could she leave me I, uh, she had her faith I didn't get it mm. <laughs> I didn't get it because no you don't you know um and that that took a long time to come to terms and I know it is again it's one of these things you learn isn't it in as you get older the, the stages of grief and one of that one of those stages is anger mm-hmm. you know um but yeah, I can just remember thinking, how how could you how could you do that? You know, <laughs> almost like how could you let that happen? Now come on, yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, because you know, I'm, I, I was a, I, I was a child trying to process that. Yeah. Um, and and having not had any conventional teenage years or any conventional, t- I, mean, no, I didn't get it. Didn't get it at all. You know, um, and I, oft- I often wonder if I'd if I'd been older, or if I'd like I said at me, if I got someone to share it with, if it would have been a different view. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. Hindsight's weird, isn't it? Because you're you, you can't help but go back and think, would I've done it differently? But you did what you did at the time, and you have to accept that that's how it was, and yeah. move on. Weirdly. And that—that's the thing, is it? We can't. You can't. And that's the—that's the, We can't change any of it. No. And None time of just marches on. But you yeah. can't. Do, you can't stop yeah. it. You can't go back. Time just marches on. Yeah. And everybody's lives carry on around you, and all you can do is carry on along with them. You can't get left yeah. behind. You can't be left in no. that wallowing misery of of grief. You just can't. I mean. I just can't allow myself. Sometimes I'll, I, you know, I could sit any single day of the week. I could sit if I thought about it. I could be, you know, obviously in tears, and I can't. I can't let that happen to myself every day. No, no, and I think, and I, and again, I think then you, you then come back round to why we are the people we are. Yeah, and that is their molding. That is part of. Of, of the processes that we've gone through with them does then make us the people we are now without a doubt yeah, makes us, I, so. I don't know many I know I know I know six very strong fabulous girls uh in my life that are amazing but I don't know many people that I I openly recognize as as strong as me does that sound yeah do, do you know what I mean yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, I often look at people that, that have been in my life who have, oh, my life, shit, or, oh, that they'll blame everything else around them for why their life isn't quite on track. Mm-hmm. But I know that would never, I wouldn't, you know, the, 
in a relationship with the wrong person or they've haven't got any work or I don't know lot, for lots of different reasons why they think their life is shit I just think I just wouldn't let that happen I wouldn't I just don't let it happen why are you letting that happen to yourself yeah. so I think yes it makes you stronger mm. I I I do I think it's that you we're all survivors we've seen things that we didn't want to see experienced um grief and feelings that we really didn't want to have that in its in its own essence does make make you stronger in some respects as well it also makes me far less tolerant of um certain (laughs) individuals and certain situations and you know what they're going through at their time in in their life is obviously all encompassing for them Mm-hmm. But I, ha- I and I can see that resonating in our conversations is like I feel no. What it's taught me is in se- that life is is for living. That we live with grief; it never goes away. But the living part is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's about pushing myself to do stuff that I'm absolutely scared of doing or that I wouldn't have entertained, perhaps the old me wouldn't have entertained, just because it's like I have a, a boy who would who would be 22 now who's never been able to experience those things, probably Jude, your sister, and Miranda, your, your mum. So part of that is what pushes me on to say they never had a chance to do that. So hence our incredible walk that we did pushes you to the absolute limits but we are very much alive and feeling absolutely everything, yeah. um, and I think that is that's what that's what hold, I hold on to. And obviously, yes, I have a beautiful sixteen-year-old son, a, a gorgeous stepson, a fabulous husband, and an amazing sister, and extended family and friends. And I've become probably a little bit picky about who who I want in my life. Um, which I don't yeah. think is a bad thing. <laughs> I, I don't at all. One of my, you know, one of my my threads through through these conversations with people is the fact that I have the last couple of years made decisions to to not carry any extra baggage, and if I and I've you know one or two people I've just let go, and because mm. it's not good, it's it's not good for me. So it's just it's not what I want in my life. You know, and I look, so my mum was 45. Um, so only a couple of years older than Pat, Jude. Yep. And and I, you know, I'm now 46. Next month, I'm 47. So I've outlived my mother in every way, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I just think, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be, you know, surrounded by, by people that, that just... Not that they're not going to give me anything or bring anything to my life, but I don't have, I have enough love for the ones I've got. I don't want to spread it thinly with ones mm-hmm. that I, you know, that, that's my key thing. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, you all both, you both okay? Yeah. 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 Good, 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 good. good. Weirdly good in a, in a strange, strange way. <laughs> so, um, 2019, just for people we keep referring to this little stroll that we did um yeah. we embarked on on the jurassic coast walk didn't we girls 
mm-hmm. um, 56 kilometers. It was, yeah. it was longer than a marathon. That's Long, it I, was longer. <laughs> yeah. It was 36, 36 miles, whatever That's that is in kilometers. Yeah. I think it might be yeah. 54, but long lot. 58, my tattoo says. So oh, well, there you go. Between, <laughs> between us, we'll make up these numbers. And mm. it was a Jurassic coastline. Um, Sarah, remind me where we started. Oh, so we started in Poole, um, Poole Harbour, and crossed over on the little ferry over to Studland, and then, yeah, continued through Swanage, up past Corf Castle, over the Downs, and uh, Dirtle Door. Dirtle Door, yeah. Yeah, and those bastard hills. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, just verticals, I think we'd call them. We yeah. wouldn't even call them hills, just vertical. Yeah, uh, I'll never forget that as long as I live. As somebody that suffers from awful vertigo as she's got older that never used to, and they were like, just look at the view and went, I can't. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we finished up in Weymouth, didn't we? At about one o'clock in the morning. One, yeah, about yeah. one o'clock in the morning, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and you started to fall your tears till then, Sarah. That's when you oh, yeah. went to Do you remember? Just coming <laughs> into Weymouth, you'd only got about two kilometres left. Yeah. Well, it was the last kilometre. And I just, yeah. I, that's it. I just sobbed. And it was like, because I knew I could do it. It was like, I'm going to cry now because yeah. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had mine within the first 10K. <laughs> your knee was hurting and you started to cry. And I said, come on, Sarah, you can do this. And you went, I know I can, but it just really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I mean, we just we didn't just embark on it that day, did we? We we'd had, um, and it was Jude's idea. We have absolute categoric proof now that it was Jude's idea in a memory that popped up the other day, going, "Oh, I think the Jurassic Ghost one looks good." <laughs> so it was definitely you. Um, we started the practice in the January, didn't we? January, February practice walking, yep. and we did the walk in May. And it was definitely something I hadn't ever embarked on. Um, and we did lots of little walks, didn't we? Um, in those months, we had some Saturdays and Sundays out. We had some midweek walks and we had a couple of really biggies, didn't we? Yeah. we had, in, in training walks, I think. Did we do a 30-miler? 30, mile, 30 miler was our last big training walk, wasn't it? I think yeah. so, yeah. And what a time. And I And I... I think individually we've all chatted about our, you know, life and a few little bits, but we never really as openly sat down and, and talked like this. We've like we said, we've all had little individual bits, mm. haven't we, in, in, in mm-hmm. each of those walking and with with Jackie and Lorna and Peter and, and Amanda when she came out to, you know, just show Willing, lover. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and it was it was always good it was always good to do it but it isn't something that we would normally openly sit down and do no and again because well for me I'm ha- I'm more than happy to talk about my sister particularly if somebody asks but it's not the sort of thing that you want to open up to every mm-hmm. week because it is, it is painful to go back there sometimes and it is particularly if you're talking to somebody who doesn't who doesn't feel what some of what you felt before. So, yes, yeah, so that's why, you know, why would we sit and talk about it every week? Because, you know, we're living, aren't we? And we've got things we yeah. should be 
doing and talking about and but the, yeah. it's good sometimes to go back but you, just not all the time no no and I, and I think that's I'm 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 and I know we all do I am very 99.9% of the time extremely proud of my mum and 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 just you know she was amazing um we had some real proper humdinger rows at times do, do you need do we need to uh what? no it's okay it's this the tighter time was going off we're all right um sorry that's okay um, you had some humdingers you were on yeah yeah really brilliant you know rouse <laughs> rouse is that what you call it when your mum's telling you off <laughs> you know i could be a right pain in the ass proper little madam um you know but I, and but as i've come to and what's interesting for me is as i've come to raise a teenage daughter um with not what with what i felt was no i, I didn't have anybody raise me as a teenager you know, I didn't have that guidance as a teenager. I didn't have a normal teenage life. So in having my own teenage daughter, wasn't really quite sure how that worked. Mm. <laughs> you know, wasn't mm. really quite sure. Was I doing any of it right? So I only ever did what I thought my mum would do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I am fiercely, I'm you know, full on tiger mum for my two, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, my dad and I have clashed over the years uh, uh, sometimes about how, um, you know, I kind of spoil them or ruin them or, you know, not let them do things. And I know part of that is driven from me thinking that if that's how my children want to be and if that's how I want to teach my children, then I'm absolutely going to because... I am fiercely protective of the fact that I am their mum and I am still here and I, you know, and they have got me because I know that is something I desperately craved for, mm-hmm. you know? So if I can do it for them, I will do it for them. Yeah. No hesitation. Uh, uh, rightly or wrongly. I don't know. You know, sometimes you can say, oh, well, you know, they really need to think for themselves or perhaps they ought to. Do you know what? As their parent... If I can do it, I will do it. Yeah. But for you, it's up to you. You're the parent. So, you know, you choose. You trump everybody on that one. You're the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, parent have, you, have you got any uh, tattoos of your mum, Miranda? Or um, any... I've got anemones, mum's favourite flower anemones. So most of my left thigh is covered in anemones. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, um, that's mostly where she sits um, with me. I try, um, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I do, I try not to, and, you know, I I miss her every year. And like I say, tomorrow is 31 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I I will feel it a bit tomorrow. And I've got some friends that will message me tomorrow because Mm -hmm. they know and they get it. But I certainly don't, how's this going to say, without sounding incredibly awful. When people gush 27 years ago since we lost you, how I wish you were here now, la, 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 la. I don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. I miss her. I miss her every day. I, yeah. I, I miss 
key things. I don't. I talk to her every day, bizarrely. I, I you, know, <laughs> you know, as to what I'm doing or if I'm doing something wrong or if she likes something. Or just, but I do not ever find myself wallowing in that. Oh my god, because my life would have been completely different. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask both of you. What do you both do to remember your loved one? Do you have rituals? Do you have songs? Do you have tattoos? What, what is it that you do or have? Yeah, well, for me, for Pat, I guess I've just got my nieces. So every time I'm with them, mm-hmm. um, I think of my sister, but I don't have any rituals or anything on. I mean, I know with the anniversaries of her death and I know her yeah. birthday and I think of her perhaps or I just even think, oh, that's birthday today. Um, and I do so I do sometimes put it on Facebook, but not but not like in a wallowing kind of, oh my God, my sister oh, yeah. died. More of a gosh, mm-hmm. she would have been 57 this year. I wonder what we would have done, or you know, and it's more perhaps it's more for other people to remember, like my brothers and people who might not have that date imprinted on their mind quite as much. Um yeah yeah I do it not from a a wallowing point of view more from celebrating actually look look how bloody far I've come the day she died I honestly thought how the frick am I going to get through tomorrow and here I am all these years later yeah doing what I'm doing I've got my children my family we're all doing okay so it's more of a reminder to myself perhaps how far I've come yeah but yeah I don't have any particular rituals I don't even really go to the graveyard anymore I did a lot to begin with mm-hmm. and then realized quite quickly I'm, I don't really get anything out of this it's cold and it's wet and it's a bit miserable really and mm-hmm. I wasn't really getting anything out of it so I, again if I ever go up there to put flowers on it's probably for other people's benefit if I think oh the girls might be going up or Leon might be going up I'll go and put some flowers on to make it look nice it's for other people's benefit really more than mine yeah, I I can share on with that one, Jude. I I completely understand that. My mum is is buried in a little village called Avon Dasset over near the Burton Dasset Hills. Um, mm-hmm. That's where she where, where she lived there when she came from Ireland. That's where she lived, and she she's in a in a plot over there. And I do go once a year, but it's the only place I feel completely on my own. It's the only place I have a stark reminder. And I know every day. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so by going there, does it take you back to being that 13-year-old child feeling all alone because your mum had gone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I can stand that. there and I can go there with Guy and the kids come and they, you know, they stand there and look at me as if to go, oh, woman, because, <laughs> you know, okay. they don't get it. And we go... And I have a look and I just see how what's overgrown and what's around her and and, you know, that's it but I do all I remember is the day we put her in there yeah mm. and, and and so I don't yeah you know a bit like I don't need that really in my life because I know she's not here um so again I, I don't feel you know like you say it's for other people's benefit that that going and doing and for some people that is absolutely for some people in their grief I get it that that's that's what gets them through Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously for Erin, like you said, she goes up yeah. there quite often. Yeah. You doesn't even remember her mum. You know, she was two years old when she when her mum passed away. So, you know, she doesn't remember her physically, but 
yeah, she obviously gets something from going there. Everybody's different, yeah. aren't they? So yeah. yeah. Sarah, you, you were saying that so I don't have a ritual, but as you girls know, I'm quite partial to a hat. I do, you know, uh, so, you know, rugby matches or whatever. I, I quite often will have some sort of adornment, whether or not it suits me or not, it doesn't matter. But my mum never went anywhere without a hat. Really? She always had a hat on. Um, and the, the kids found it hilarious that the year after she died, we had a party at my house, like you do. We had a party a year later where Terry, one of the neighbours, had actually got all mum's hats and she brought them to the party and everybody at the party, we all just sat in this party wearing my mum's hats. That's brilliant. And then a couple of years ago, um, friends of my mum's who still they live in Brackley um, said, look, come over with Guy and the kids. We've found some pictures, found some old pictures of your mum um, and some few bits and pieces. So I always love to share that because I can tell Guy and the kids lots of stories about my mum, but there's only, you know, the people that knew her then that can pass that on to them so we went over um to to see tom and he got about four or five of my mum's hats <laughs> so there we were again and the kids were like oh my god what is that because some of them are quite rare mm-hmm. um but yeah we sat and, and andrew bought one home and and we got them home and he said oh yeah i love, love granny Jose's hats you know they're amazing so yeah so if it's one thing my hat wearing be it like I say, one that suits me or one that doesn't suit me does come from my mother's love of hats. <laughs> you know. What about you, Sarah? Well, similar to both of you, you know, James is buried in the village, so I know exactly where he is. Um, I don't feel the need now to go up. Um, I did at the time, and I'm not inherently religious at all, but it was just a place where I could just go and be quiet and just sort of sit but that wore off quite quickly um so yeah we go up he has flowers there on birthdays at Christmas things like that but it doesn't hold you know anything really with him because he's not there he's like they're all they're in in your heart Mm -hmm. but I was quite surprised actually when I went up there that I'd find things that other people had left which always took me back a little bit, you know, it, and sometimes I didn't know who it was. It could have been, what you know, when he was only sort of eight, when he went, is is actually some of his, how it affected some of his friends that he was at school with. So, you know, you'd find little Lego models and and little things, things like that. That actually used to sort of take, take me back. But I, I got a bit of comfort in that because it was like, actually, I feel that, they feel that they've got somewhere to go and pay their respects, which is, yeah. is quite a nice thing. But when it comes down to how we generally remember them, it is doing stupid things. Like the, one of the first things I did was me and my um, amazing sister, I, I conned her into going to the Sahara for a week. We did a trek in the Sahara for a week. And actually for me, that was my turning point because it's like I've got through losing James I can get through trekking in the Sahara, which is something that I thought I'd never, ever do. I've done that. Oh, my God, what else can I do? And that, for me, was a massive turning point. So then having the challenge with you ladies, again, that is like, it is that affirmation of like, I'm still here and bloody hell, I'm going to make my life worth something. Because, again, 
James isn't here to be able to to celebrate those those times with us. And I think that has gone throughout the family. So James isn't a taboo subject, you know, he's always out there. We always talk about it, about him, um, not so much about the event. Um, and sometimes those conversations are quite hard. Like with, with Tom, he's like, I can't remember him, Mum. I'm struggling to remember him. And that's probably like Jude's and their nieces. And and he feels awful that he can't remember him. And yes, we've got books and pictures and thing, you know. And he's obviously got very very small memory of him. But he was four. Mm. And little Steve was fifteen at the time. And as a teenager, has pushed a lot of that away because it was so painful for him. But now, as an adult at twenty eight, he he feels now he's got the maturity to talk about him, and I think hopefully we've given him that space where he, it's like it isn't a taboo subject. And I think what made me sad listening to to you, Miranda, was it, it was a different generation mm. when you were going through that, and it, it that was what people thought they had to do. Yeah. Whereas when we lost James, it was it wasn't such a taboo subject or I was, I suppose, you know, we were quite, I was quite fearful that it would become one. So he's always there and therefore he feels quite present. Yeah. Which is still hard. And I still have that awful thing when people, you know, you meet people randomly and they go, they ask you how many children you've got. That for me is one of those heart stopping questions. And And I answer it depending on how I feel that day, because mm. I'm very mindful of where that conversation is going to go. Afterwards, yeah. if I say, oh, I've got three boys, sometimes it stops there and sometimes people want to push further and it's like I'm mindful of how what I say, how that can impact on other people, but also mm. it's about protecting me. I don't really want to have that conversation because there's one not around. Yeah, yeah, I get that. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in today's podcast, then there are several places you can go for some support. Mind and the Samaritans are a great place to start for mental health. And if you're looking for advice with regards any kind of cancer support, then obviously Cancer Research UK or Macmillan will be there to answer any questions you have. Just remember, people, keep talking. Let's not miss the conversation.